It's time for Girls in Golf Podcast with your favorite hosts, Lex and Sarah. Ladies, when you're ready. Welcome to this week's Girls in Golf. I'm Lex, joined by Sarah as always. And this week we are very excited to have our first male guest. He is a seasoned writer about golf and now the LPGA. Welcome, Ron Syrak. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's, it's quite an honor to be your first man. So. <laughs> We're really excited to have you. And for those who might not know Ron, even though you've been around for a long time, you've been, you're an author, you've written co-written over three books, um, you've covered over 150 major championships, and for a couple of years, you made it to all the men's and all the women's, right? Three years? Uh, that's right, Yep. You've also won multiple journalism awards, including the PGA of America Lifetime Achievement Award in Journalism and the LPGA Media Excellence Award. I think you're just, you're a perfect guest for the week that the LPGA is coming back. Well, I always love talking about the LPGA. Uh, you know, I've been, uh, I worked 18 years with the Associated Press, another 18 for Golf Digest and Golf World, and covering the LPGA is the, my, the, my favorite job. It's the best thing I've ever done. Why is it your favorite? Um, you know, the better you know somebody, the better you can write about them. And LPGA athletes are the most accessible athletes on the planet. Uh, they let you into their lives. They want to tell their story. And when they open up that way, um, I mean, I, you know, I've been to players' engagements parties. I've been to their weddings. You go out to dinner with them. You get to know them on a level that quite frankly, uh, in, the, in the sometimes overly self-entitled world of men's golf, you don't get to know the top players that way anymore. They travel in private jets. They stay in private homes. You never get that casual time with them to build up trust. Is that something that's kind of reminiscent on like the older days of journalism? I remember I worked with some people back in Arizona who they used to say, you know, we used to take team charters. We were always talking to players. And now that that door is a little bit more closed. Is it nice to have that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, it, it is. There's, there's a lot about covering the LPGA that's like covering the PGA Tour 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you know. And, and you know, it's those casual moments. It's, it's running into a player in a hotel bar or, or an airport waiting room where you just have a sort of a relaxed chat that you develop trust. And, and, and when you develop trust, then you get to the point where, where you can find out more about a player and, and then your stories become better. It serves all the stakeholders in the game uh, uh, a whole lot when you have that kind of access to players. Well, especially with the LPGA's mo like motivation of drive on for the year, right? And like you said in your column this week, there's this attitude of let's try this again. So do you think this will help the players with their outlook for the rest of the season? You know, what I'm hoping that's going to happen here is that in a sports-starved world right now, that, that maybe some eyes that didn't used to watch the LPGA are going to seek it out and find it. Um, you know, to me, uh, I always said, when people say, what's the single thing that the LPGA needs to grow more? I always say better TV exposure because uh, um, once you experience the product, you realize what a great product it is. And I've always found the biggest critics of women's golf, both among fans and among the media, are people who haven't been to the tournaments, people who haven't watched the tournaments. There's a group of people out there, and they're mostly men, who like to demean women's sports in any way that they can. And usually they're doing it without ever having experienced the product. 
Do you think, um, because of COVID, do you think athletes, specifically golfers, are going to view their jobs differently um, now that they've had all of this mandated time off? Yeah, you know, I, I was uh, talking with some players uh, over the weekend about their travels to Toledo, and uh, Angela Stanford drove from Fort Worth, Texas to Toledo. Um, uh, Pernilla Lindbergh drove from Orlando, Florida to Toledo. Um, some of the other players, Morgan Pressel flew from Florida. Uh, uh, Carlotta Singanda flew from Arizona. So there's a lot that's changing. You know, I remember doing a story about uh, uh, caddies, LPJ caddies a few years ago. And one caddy said to me, I used to put 50,000 miles a year on my car speedometer. Now I get 100,000 frequent flyer miles. And uh, that's sort of the way that, that as the LPGA has become golf's global, global tour, it changed that way. But now there's some of it that is going to be going back to the, to the old way of doing things, driving to tournaments, for instance. Do you think that's going to be different between the two tours, between the PGA Tour and the LPGA Tour? I mean, I've definitely seen – there's a couple of men who have been driving um, the last few weeks, but for the most part they've been taking charters, right? And I know the charters can be offered when they go to Europe. Yeah, you know, and the LPGA is going to have, there's going to be a charter. They're going to do two weeks, first two tournaments in Toledo. Then they're going to have a charter from Detroit uh, to Scotland. And they're going to play the Women's Scottish Open, then Women's British Open. Then they're going to have a charter to Rogers, Arkansas, and play the Walmart tournament down there. So they're going to try to create their own bubble. But in all honesty, um, both the LPGA as an organization and LPGA players as individuals have a much less of a safety net underneath them than PGA Tour and PGA Tour players do. Uh, there's, you know, quite the, the, the truth is, the sad reality is that the women are playing for one-fifth the prize money the men are playing for. So that, that financially, it's a whole lot easier for the PGA Tour to create uh, a, a, a safe bubble around their players. That said, Commissioner Mike Wan I think has really had a leadership role among uh, commissioners of all sports in how he's done. He was one of the first to start to close things down. Uh, he canceled his first tournament uh, uh, January 30th. He canceled his second and third tournament February 2nd. Uh, you know, he's, he's been out ahead of this and he's put the safety of his players and his staff as, as priority one. So what has the feedback been um, so far from the LPGA players you, you've talked to? Do they feel safe? Um, do they have any concerns so far? I think everybody has the same concerns that we all do, which is, which is uh, you know, it's, it, this is all just such a mystery. They, they don't know what's out there. Um, every player that I've talked to has enormous respect for the diligence of the LPGA in, in coming back cautiously. And look, they're coming back uh, uh, more than a month after the PGA Tour, almost a month and a half after the PGA Tour. But they are, they are coming back into an environment that they feel uh, they can control. Um, there is going to be in Toledo uh, testing before they get to the golf course. There's going to be testing at the golf course. There's going to be thermal scanners at the golf course that they have to go through. Um, they are going to do everything that they can to put the players in the safest environment they can. And the players have a lot of respect to, for the tour for looking out for them. So as a member of the media, how is your job going to look different when you're not necessarily going to be going to every event, I assume. Well, I'll tell you how it's, it's going to look different for me. Uh, uh, next week, I, I have been uh, I'm going to be right covering the men's PGA championship for the uh, uh, PGA of America's website. And they're not going to let me within 3,000 miles of the golf course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
we've set up on my computer a, a sort of closed circuit TV feeds. I'm going to have Zoom uh, interviews with players. And uh, so the, you, you were mentioning how many majors I've covered. It's, up, it's like 178, I think, now. So I'm trying. I have, I have this um, ethical dilemma. Do I count this PGA Championship as, as one of the majors that I've covered? Because I'm not going to be in San Francisco. I'm going to be sitting in Wellfleet, Massachusetts. But I will be writing about it every day and talking to players every day. I definitely think that that counts. Um, what about the fields that we're going to see out there? I know some international players have opted out. Obviously, those who live in South Korea, the traveling is just not going to happen. And some European players are opting to stay until the tour goes over there for a couple of weeks. What do you think that's going to look like? Yeah, it's a particular challenge for the LPGA. About a third of their players live outside the United States. And, and uh, you know, there are issues not only coming into the United States, there's issues going back home. And if you look at the first few tournaments from the fields that I've seen for the two Toledo events, I've seen the field for the uh, Women's Scottish Open, um, there are hardly any Koreans that are there because I think it's just too cumbersome of a process. That said, um, this drive-line championship uh, has a very strong field. It's got four of the top ten in the Rolex rankings. Uh, Nellie Korda's number two. Danielle Kang's number five. Minji Lee, for, who's uh, Australian, is number eight. Uh, Lexi Thompson's number nine. That's a very strong field. Also having there Lizette Salas, uh, Jessica Korda, uh, Carlotta Singanda. Those are all top 20 players. So there's going to be a lot of talent out there. But I do think that we're going to see uh, a lot of players, particularly the Asian players, um, um, not be making the trips at least early on because there's too much protocol they have to go through at both ends. Do you feel um, that that's going to affect the number of viewers? And if so, how do you think um, they can maintain or even grow the number of viewers um, when not as many players might play? Uh, you know, if, if the reaction I'm getting from uh, my social media followers, from the, the stuff that I've written the last couple of weeks about the return of the tour is any indication, people are hungry for golf to be back and, and they want to see it. So I, I think the viewers are going to be there. Um, and and I'm hoping that, that if there's a silver lining in this whole thing, that, that there will be people who might turn on the TV and watch women's golf who've never watched women's golf before. And then they're going to realize what a good product it is. I'm hoping that that's, that that's part of the, the repercussions of, of COVID. What about the course that they're going to be playing for the next couple of weeks? Um, I don't know a ton about the Inverness Club, but a good friend of mine, Abby Liebenthal, who runs for the ladies, loves it there and has been posting some stuff from last year when she got to play. So how is this going to look for the women in back-to-back -back weeks? Well, first off, uh, um, being at Inverness is going to be a preview of what the Solheim Cup's going to be like mm -hmm. next year. That's what the Solheim Cup's going to be. Inverness is a great old Donald Ross course. It's had four U.S. Opens, men's U.S. Opens, four men's PGA Championships there, or two men's PGA Championships there. So it, it's got, and it's one of those golf courses that, um, um, as far as the men are hitting the golf ball right now, it's sort of dropped off the rotation uh, for, for men's majors. 
but it's a great, great golf course for the women to play. Uh, it's a very challenging shot maker course. Donald Ross's courses are traditionally a second shot golf courses. You know, you know, you put the drive in the fairway and the job's just begun because it's that second shot that's difficult. You miss the green, up and downs are hard. So uh, you're going to see, uh, it's going to be a golf course that's going to favor players with strong iron games and strong up and down games around the greens. And it's one day less, right? It's only a three-day tournament to start. It's a three-day tournament, uh, 144 players playing for a million-dollar purse. And that purse has been ponied up by some of the sponsors. And this is one of the things that's been great. And it shows you uh, how much uh, the corporate sponsors appreciate working with the LPGA and how great LPGA players are to work with. Some sponsors whose tournaments disappeared this year, aren't going to be back till next year, uh, put up some of the money. Uh, for the purse. Uh, Aon, which had the risk-reward challenge last year, a million-dollar bonus that Singanda won uh, for the lowest cumulative score uh, over the course of the season, isn't offering that bonus this year, but they put up some of the money for the drive-on championship. So those sponsors have stepped in. And, and the sponsors who are uh, involved in uh, healthcare you know, uh, are involved. Uh, they're, they're providing masks, providing thermal screening, providing the testing that they need. The partners have stepped up uh, really big time that way. What about your own journey in golf? So we know you've been around um, the sport for a long time. I read on your website, you were around it when you were 12, maybe even sooner. Um, what's your game like right now? I probably I've played more golf this summer than I have since I was in high school because uh, I haven't traveled this little since 1986. Uh, you know, I haven't been in a hotel since uh, the CME championship in uh, November. I haven't been off Cape Cod since the middle of February. You know, it's going to be uh, uh, and, you know, and it's going to be strange to see the next LPGA event I'm supposed to be at is the ANA Inspiration, which is going to be the second week of September in, in, in Palm Springs which should be interesting temperature-wise out there. But uh, I don't, don't know as yet whether I'm going because the LPGA uh, is trying to bring um, everything back in a very, very controlled way. I think there's going to be fewer media there. I think that they want fewer people inside the bubble to try to, to, try to control it. But uh, it's been very weird for me not to be uh, at um, – um, at tournaments. Uh, uh, you know, I've still been writing for LPGA.com every week. And, 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 and thank goodness for my very deep uh, uh, contact list uh, that between text messages and, and direct messages on Twitter and things like that, I, I stay in touch with players and I'm able to track people down and, and send them some questions and say, hey, help me out I'm for a column this week. Give me, give me some quotes. Tell me what you're thinking about this. And uh, uh, so that, that's been different. And you know what, that, that could very well be a, a, a glimpse of more and more what the future of journalism is going to look like. We're probably going to be doing a whole lot more of what we're doing right now. I know um, Sarah and I were talking a little bit originally. I was a journalism student. Sarah studied um, graphic design. But we were curious about why you went into like golf journalism specifically sports journalism is a really highly desired field at least it was in my journalism school but not a lot of people stuck around and definitely not a lot of people went into golf well you know i was a news journalist until i was 37 years old uh so i, I didn't become a sports writer uh until then 
And then I didn't become an, uh, uh, a golf-only journalist till I was 45 years old. But uh, I grew up around golf. Uh, my dad was a steel worker in the mills around Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania. And he started playing, the go- he started playing golf because um, he was in his mid-30s and he was looking for a sport to play. He couldn't play softball really anymore. And this local kid started winning golf tournaments, the son of a greenskeeper, Arnold Palmer. And so it was Arnold got my dad into the game. My dad got me into the game. So I'd been around golf forever, worked as a journalist. And then when I was 37, I got lured to the sports department at the Associated Press. The sports editor had this great idea. He said, you know, sports writers should be journalists first and sports fans second. So he started raiding the news desk for people who had an interest in sports. So he took me down. And uh, I became the assistant sports editor. And, and one of my jobs was to go to major events and coordinate the AP's coverage there. There maybe there'd be 10 writers at the basketball final four. I'd make sure they didn't write the, all the, write the same story. I, and so I started going to the major golf championships as uh, doing that coordinating. And then in, uh, um, uh, the guy who had been the AP golf writer for 26 years retired and I said to my boss, the one job I'd go back to writing to do is to be the golf writer and uh, uh, let me do it. And she said, come up with a plan. And I come up with a plan. At that time, the golf writer for the Associated Press covered 43 PGA Tour events a year, no LPGA events. So first thing I said to the sports editor is, I have no interest in going to 43 tournaments a year. Let's set that aside. And secondly, Golf is way bigger than men's golf. We have to cover the women's. We have to cover amateurs. We have to cover the business of golf. I said, there's a whole world of golf out there that we need to cover. It's way more than just the PGA Tour. She said, go ahead, go for it. And, and uh, Terry Taylor was her name. She was a sports editor of the AP. And, and she let me uh, blow up the model and, and, and create a new one. And, uh, um, and then two and a half years later, Golf Digest and Golf World came and stole me away from the AP. So. Um, out of all of your time covering um, women's golf, what was the number one most interesting story that you've covered so far? Um, I'll, I'll give you two answers to that. And, 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 and one is, is, is a broad thing. In, in uh, 2007, um, I found out that, that Betsy King was going to take uh, a half a dozen LPGA players and go to Rwanda on a humanitarian mission to help um, um, orphans, orphans from the genocide there and AIDS orphans. And uh, I said to my boss, how do you want me to write about that? And he said, see if you can go. So I asked and I went with them. So I spent two weeks in Rwanda with six LPGA players. And, and that, in writing that story, that story was probably the story that I felt the most pressure to get it right because I didn't feel like I wanted to let anyone down, the players who were doing this humanitarian mission, the people of Rwanda who were suffering. Uh, so that was, uh, that, that was probably the most meaningful story that I did. But in a competitive level, having the privilege and the honor to cover Annika Sorenstam, uh, um, I, I don't think that she gets... Um, as much credit as she deserves. I, I think from 2001 through 2006, she played golf as well, as consistently well as anybody has ever played the game. Um, t- listen to these numbers. From 2001 through 2006, six years, she played 124 tournaments and LPGA tournaments and won 46. 
She won 46 of 124 tournaments, including eight major championships in six years. Um, and I, I got to, um, to do it all with her. I was, I was with her in Lytham St. Anne's in 2003 when she completed the, uh, the women's. Uh, 2003 was an amazing year for Annika. She played in the men's event at Colonial. Uh, she won two major championships and missed the other two majors by one stroke in each of them. Um, she completed the career grand slam at the Women's British Open at, at Royal Lytham St. Anne's. She's led Europe to a Solheim Cup victory at Barsebeck in her homeland in Sweden. And then in October was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame. And I, I, I had the, the real, real honor to have been at all those places with her. And that was, that's an, that's an amazing memory. That's really amazing. Um, so if you could go back in time and speak to your younger self, what is something that you, what is a piece of advice you would give your younger self? Slow down your backswing. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, you know, I, I, I think that the main thing that I've learned and, and, and I learned this, I learned this slowly and, 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 and through experience as a journalist is the most important thing is, is uh, listening. Um, uh, and, you know, uh, there have been times when you do an interview with a player and you go in and you have your questions and you know what you want to ask. But sometimes if you listen to their answers, and, and that's why I don't necessarily like to work with a tape recorder. I like to write it down. But if you listen to their answers, they say something that leads you in a, an entirely different direction than you weren't planning on going. Um, so I, I, I always say that, you know, when you write, I mean, you write with your eyes, you write with your ears, you write with your heart. I mean, those are, those are, those are the three things that, that I learned. So what's, what's next for you or what's, what's left on your list of things that you want to do that you want to cover in your career? You know, um, uh, I had, uh, um, there were two golfers, uh, that I've never gotten a chance to interview, uh, that, that I wanted to interview. Um, one was Ben Hogan and one was uh, Mickey Wright. Well, uh, Mickey Wright, who, who, who died on, I, I believe on Valentine's Day this year, it was, it was in February, but uh, um, uh, I never got to meet her, but late last year, uh, we became pen pals. Uh, uh, one of her friends gave me, I said, I really want to ask, I have a question I want to ask Mickey for a story. Gave me her email address and I sent her an email and I said, you don't know who I am. Uh, my name's Ron Syrak and, and uh, uh, I cover golf and, and I wanna, I'd like to ask you a couple questions. And she wrote back uh, uh, an email and you can be sure that I printed this out and have squirreled it away. She said, of course I know who you are. I watch you on Golf Channel every Monday. I read your stuff on LPGA.com. And I said, okay, that's a, that's, that makes me a happy person right there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm curious to see what's going to happen next. Um, uh, I think uh, the LPGA, um, they, part of why this is such a weird year, they uh, reached a new TV contract earlier this year, and it goes into effect in 2022. And I think that contract's going to give them a lot more exposure. And I think, as I said, I think when more people see the product, I mean, I, in those early, in those Annika years, I was telling people, LPGA is the second most valuable property in all of golf behind the PGA Tour. It's going to break through. People are going to realize that. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. 
but I think it's happening right now. I think, I think that people are starting to realize uh, uh, what a great product it is. Well, we definitely think so. And we hope that everyone who's listening and watching to this podcast will tune in this week to watch the ladies play the drive on championship. Um, Ron, for those that may not already follow you, where can they follow you? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ron Syrak, R-O-N-S-I-R-A-K. Um, uh, I write every week for LPGA.com. Um, I'm going to be writing for uh, um, uh, PGA.com uh, during the PGA Championship next week. Uh, I'm, uh, when the LPGA is playing, um, you, I'm usually on Morning Drive on Golf Channel at 7.30 every Monday morning. Uh, so those are places where you can find it. All right, Ron, well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you listen and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or watch it on YouTube, um, we thank you so much for listening and watching, and we will catch you next week on Girls and Golf.